All right, you might be familiar with 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, and I have it up here on the screen for you, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anybody got a little anxiety going on these days? One of the biggest anxieties I think that we carry with us, the weight that we carry on our shoulders, is something I call unresolved anger. Unresolved anger. One of the greatest weights that we carry. And if you don't resolve your anger, then you could turn into this guy. Check out your screen here. Would you turn into this guy? If you're old school like me, this is the real Incredible Hulk, okay? I, I know that it's uh, become uh, digitized and all that, but this is the real Incredible Hulk here. But anger is probably one of those emotions that I think can ruin our life the fastest. If you think about it, out of all the emotions, this is the one anger, the one emotion I feel like that really, if you turn into the Incredible Hulk, all right, you're scary. (laughs) Angry people are scary people. Just ask the guy in Friends who stole Ross's sandwich, all right, if you know that episode. Do you remember the last time that you got really, really angry? I mean, you lost it. Do you remember that? I do. I got fouled. Ref didn't call it. Didn't see it. I'm a basketball guy, all right? And if you ever watched athletes get into it, all right? I, 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 I was fouled. And he didn't see it. Everybody in the gym saw it, all right? I think we lost the game because of it. But that really gets me so upset. Because I'm a competitor, and I like to win. And I didn't get to win that time. Now, there's some guys I've played with that when they get angry, they get upset. I, I yell, all right? I, I get mad. And, and you know, I'm, I might have got a T once or twice, all right? That's a technical foul for those of you that, you know. But some guys lose it. I mean, they just lose it. And when they do, it's like ugly. I mean, there's been some games where Ethan would want to come with me to the game, and I tell him, uh, you can't come to this one, because <laughs> I know what's going to happen in this game, and some guys are going to lose it, and they don't use the, most, uh, the best language in this 40 and over league that I play in, all right? But these guys that lose it, and then the next week, they're like, oh, they're okay, you know, they're buddy-buddy with the ref again, and then they want to guard me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Bruce Banner, you just take it easy this game. You keep that Hulk just uh, bottled up. But anger can really, really get to us sometimes. It's bad. A couple Wednesdays ago, Jeff, who was up here praying for our offering, he was leading our prayer time, and he asked if anyone had issues with anger. And I think every hand went up in our Bible study. Everybody had something going on in their life, and it was a big deal. So everyone struggles with anger. I just want you to know you're not alone. Don't ever feel like you're alone. Everyone has a struggle. In fact, Christian counselors say that 50% of the people that come in for counseling have problems dealing with their anger. So Christians are not exempt from anger. Anger is normal, God-given emotion. Did you know that? 
So many times we think, oh, I'm angry, there's something wrong with me. No. Anger is a normal God-given emotion. But anger, what you do with it, well, that's a choice that you make. And I'll be honest with you, 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 you need to practice um, working on this, and I'm going to help you today with this message, because sometimes when we're angry, we don't think so straight, right? And, and, and we need to have some preemptive um, strategies to deal with our, with our anger. But I want you to know, your anger is just a gauge, it's not a guide. It's a gauge. It's, it's telling you. It's giving you information. It's alerting you. It's not a guide. You choose what you do with your anger. Think of your car. You have a car. You drive the car. You look at the speedometer. That's a gauge. You look at the RPMs. That's another gauge. And then if you ever had the check engine light go on, right, that's scary, right? It's like, oh, come on. What now? You know, but you have a choice. What are you going to do when that check engine light goes on? Are you going to ignore it? Keep on driving? Pretend like, well, nothing's going to happen? I know when I was a teenager and I had a, that light went on, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to tell my dad. I don't want to tell him. I didn't do it, Dad. I'm, I'm telling you, I didn't do it. It just went on. But now I've learned that when that light goes on, go to one of those auto stores, get it scanned, find out what's going on, and deal with it immediately because something really bad could happen if you don't deal with the check engine light, right? Anger is the check engine light. It's a gauge. It's telling you what's going on. It's alerting you. It's not a guide. You choose what you do with your anger. And here's the reality, I think, of unresolved anger. And I know we don't often want to think about this, but the reality of our unresolved anger is if you hold in your anger, studies reveal increases your anxiety levels. Increases your anxiety levels. Links to depression. Weakens your immune system. Increases your risk for heart attack or stroke and it shortens your life. That was a 17-year U of M study. These are studies showing that if you don't resolve your anger, if you hold it in, then physically it's going to cause problems in your body. Not to mention what it does to your relationships. Because then it causes bitterness, leads to bitterness, leads to resentment. Maybe you don't hold in your anger. Maybe you're one of those type that likes to just let it spew like a volcanic eruption. Maybe that happens to you. Well, when that happens, doesn't that cause guilt and shame? Doesn't that really mess with your relationships when you're spewing on the other person? It could become a stronghold in your life like we talked about last week. It can control you. Anger can be a problem. And that's not what we want, is it? I don't want that. I want to honor God with my life. I want to resolve my anger let me show you some verses in the Bible that talk about anger. First of all, if you want to honor God with your life, you have to know how to deal with your anger. For James tells us, the brother of Jesus, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You just think about that and you just know it to be true. 
right? When we, when we get angry in our sin and, and we sin, it does not produce the righteousness of God. So I want to honor God with my life. You want to honor God with your life. You have to get control of your anger. Proverbs 29, 11. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool will give full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Not holds it in, <laughs> holds it back. There's a difference. You don't want to sin in your anger. Because Ephesians 4, Paul writes to the church, verses 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. See right there, what does that tell you about anger? It's normal. It's a God-given emotion. Be angry and do not sin. That's, that's the hard part, right? Let's be honest. That's the hard part. But don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't hold it in, because that leads to that bitterness and resentment. And give no opportunity to the devil. Are you aware that the devil wants to ruin your relationship? He wants to ruin your marriage? He wants to split the church? He wants to cause problems? You can't give the opportunity to the devil. You've got to deal with your anger. And then you've got to trust God when you do get angry. Because I don't know about you, but when I get angry at someone or some situation, I want to act, respond, right? Revenge. But in Romans 12, 19, he writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will take vengeance when it's his timing. Now you might wonder, does the Lord get angry? And I was mentioning to Logan yesterday as we were working around the church, doing a few things. I said, yeah, I'm preaching on anger tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow for that. And uh, he immediately thought of Exodus 32, he said. And uh, when they built the golden calf and God was angry at them and I I just kind of thought about that for a second, and I chuckled, I thought, I feel like God was angry the whole Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, you read the whole Old Testament, you're like, dang, God's pretty mad, a lot. But it's because of the people. They were disobeying God, right? And then here we get to the New Testament, and we go, oh, well, God is the God of love, right? But it's not two different gods. He's the same God. God gets angry. In fact, Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every single day. Does God get angry? Every single day. Because when he looks at what's going on, the same thing that you see that's going on in the world today, he gets angry at that too. It's righteous anger. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus really got angry. And you think, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Jesus was just this loving guy. He held the children, right? And he was this humble servant. What are you talking about? I don't remember Jesus getting angry. I'm going to show you a few places in the Bible where Jesus got really angry. But it was a righteous anger. It was the good kind of anger. He uses this powerful emotion that drives us into action to glorify his Father in heaven. That's something that we can do with our righteous anger. We can take action in a God-honoring way. I want you to have victory over your anger. 
I want you to trust the Lord. I want you to see the example of Jesus. Will you go to, with me to the Lord in prayer one more time this morning? Father, please help us to hear your message today. Help us to look at our own anger and not ignore it. Not pretend it's not there. But help us, God, to look into this check engine light that's popping up in our life. Help us to deal with it, process it. Not hold it in, not let it spew all over everyone else. But Father, help us today in our brokenness. Help us to find forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. We need your help, God. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Everyone said? Amen. I knew you guys were alert. I was watching, singing. We got to get a little more energy. I know it's cold out, but you're in here. You're together. You can do this. We're in this uh, harmony of the Gospels, right? We're covering Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this year and a little bit of next year, and we're in the very first year of Jesus' ministry. In the first year of his ministry, we've seen a couple things that Jesus has done. It's a three-and-a-half-year ministry. In the first um, couple messages this year, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And I told you that if, if Jesus got baptized, then so should you, right? You got baptized, so should you. We had three people get baptized already this year, which is wonderful. Secondly, last week we saw Jesus faced temptation. And the way he faced it is, the way he escaped it, is through God's word. God's word is the way of escape. You're facing temptation, God's word is the way of escape. No temptation can take, overtake you what's common to man, but God's word is the way of escape. In fact, if you have a stronghold, some kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up that's going on in your life, you can be released from that stronghold by God's word. It can help you get released. So that's what we've covered so far in, uh, in, in this uh, um, year so far. But now we are looking at specifically um, anger, and Jesus is going to um, have righteous anger, and he's going to help you resolve your anger, and, and I'm going to show you how to do that. We are going to be in John chapter 2. In our first text, if you want to go there in your Bible, if you need a Bible, there's free Bibles on the back table. Feel free to take one. But uh, the, the, the kind of uh, backstory of this text that I'm about to share with you is uh, about the Passover. In the Old Testament, there was the story of the Passover, and you need to understand that a little bit before we get into this uh, text so you can understand why these people were all in Jerusalem. Um, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, um, when Moses uh, was their leader all the way back in the Old Testament and they were in Egypt as slaves um, to the Egyptians, uh, the angel of death was coming. This was the, the ten uh, plagues, if you will. And this was the final one. The angel of death was coming to take the firstborn child of every family. The only way you could save your child was to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, and put it on your front door. The angel of death would come at night. If it saw the blood of the lamb on your front door, it would pass over your house and not take the life of your firstborn child. That's basically the, um, the reason why. And then, of course, God told Moses that you should continue to remember the Passover 
and celebrate the Passover because God rescued you from slavery. So here they are returning to Jerusalem. That's where they were told to do it. So at this point in time now, the Jewish people are spread out. They live in all the different countries, and they would come back to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. When they came back, they had to bring their sacrificial lamb. But if you came from a long distance, you really can't travel with your lamb. You're not going to bring your lamb. And if you're coming from a different country, then you don't have the correct currency. So you have to go to um, exchange your money so you can purchase a sacrificial lamb. Uh, Then they had, based on your wealth, you had other options, pigeons and such, to um, make a sacrifice to the Lord for Passover. So here they are in the temple, and because people living in Jerusalem know this, they know this scenario, they know what's going to happen, they found a way, some of them, to make a profit. To make a profit. And what they did is they basically gouged the people with the exchange rate, and they knew they had to purchase these animals, so they would gouge them on the price. Imagine this. You came to church today, and at the front door, there were scalpers selling tickets, gouging you for a seat in God's house. Wouldn't that kind of ruin your worship experience? Yeah. You'd you'd be thinking about that. You wouldn't be thinking about what the, the preacher's saying or what songs are. You'd be thinking, man, I got 50 bucks for the seat. Can't even, I can't even get close to Pastor Matt. What's, what the heck? It's terrible. Wrecks it. John chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus, beginning of the ministry, Passover the Jews was at hand. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Verse 14. In the temple, he finds those who are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers, money changers sitting there, gouging the people. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. I could have had a table up here for a dramatic effect. You know, just throwing it, but I, I didn't want to scare anybody. All right. And he told those who sold those pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade, a profit. His disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was so angry, but he didn't sin. He turned over tables, he cracked this whip at people, he spilled their money everywhere, he cleared the temple. And this was the first time he did it, recorded by John. The other Gospels record it when it happens again at the end of his ministry. I often confuse those two, but they're two separate times times that it it happened. Why did he do this? His reason is very simple. You're making God's house a place of profit when it should be a place of worship. Think about that. Anytime you come to God's house for any other reason but worship, you've come for the wrong reason. I'm sorry, if you came for the soup today, (laughs) you've come for the wrong reason. You need to come for worship. Come to worship. Many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, a sweet older lady came to our church. We used to meet in a school cafeteria for many years. And she came to church, and, and she, she saw our group of people there, and, and she saw an older man to her, about her age by himself, and she sat with him. Next week, she came back again and sat with the same guy. Well, the guy was married. He just didn't come with his wife. 
And after service, after the second time she came, I, I went up to the guy and I said, hey, um, how, you know, how'd she like it? You know, I didn't get a chance to talk to her. Did you get a chance to talk to her? He goes, yeah, she won't be back. I was like, okay, well, did I say something? You know, what, what was it? He goes, she was looking for her husband. I said, oh, okay. She came for the wrong reason. You got to come to God's house for worship. But if you find your spouse at God's house, that's good. That's better in a lot of places you can find your spouse. Amen to that? We gather for worship, first and foremost. And when we get that right, Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Righteous anger for righteous worship. Jesus also got angry another time, and probably more than one Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, right, is the holy day for the Jewish people. And so they would have specific rules, lots and lots of rules on the Sabbath day. Don't even touch the snow shovel on the Sabbath day. Don't even do any bit of work, because that's wrong. And Jesus says to them, Mark chapter 3, verse 4, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. He's saying to them, Can I do something good for someone on the Sabbath day? Because he knew that they had these rules, these man-made traditions over the years of different rabbis teaching that basically you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And that's what the law became. The over 600 commands just became law, rule after rule after rule after rule. And Jesus gets mad. He looks around at them, verse 5, with anger, with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart, he says to the man who was handicapped, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he healed this man. He restored him. He got mad because, well, righteous anger over when man-made tradition, when the church rules get in the way of the relationship with God. I used to quote this, I I saw this before, that uh, religion often messes up our relationship with God. Don't let religion, don't let the rules mess up your relationship with God. It's about the relationship. Amen? Jesus gave us those two examples of when he got angry, and then he actually taught on anger. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, I'm going to give you just a couple of verses here and, and help you see the significance of what happens to you when you are angry. He says in verse 21, You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. One of the commandments, right? You shall not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. There's consequences. You'll be judged if you murder. But then in verse 22, Jesus says this. This is where Jesus really revealed the truth, the the meaning behind these commandments. He says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You're angry with your brother. You're liable to the same judgment as if you murdered your brother. Now, on earth, we know there's a difference. You can be angry with someone and you're not going to go to jail. 
you murder someone, you're going to go to jail. But Jesus says, no, it's the same consequences in heaven. That's pretty, pretty different than what they were learning. He goes on to explain in this text in, in Matthew 5, which I won't uh, read it to you, but I'll just tell you. He goes on to basically explain, you need to resolve your anger ASAP. As soon as possible, you need to deal with your anger. Like the scripture said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need to deal with this right away. It will become a problem. In fact, he says, I don't even want you to go to church and present your offering. I want you to really go to that person and fix it. Fix the problem. Don't let it linger. From Jesus, we see a righteous anger, and we see that we have to deal with our anger as quickly as possible, because there are consequences. God wants us to be zealous for him, and he wants us to deal with our anger, resolve our anger with some urgency. Because anger, even though it's a God-given emotion, right, anger is that gauge, not that guide, right? It's a choice that you make. So I want to give you some practical ways to deal with your anger, some things to think about as you find yourself getting angry. Because I know right now you might not be angry, but today, watching the game, <laughs> you might get angry. Uh, later on, driving around, you might get angry at somebody who cuts you off. You might get angry uh, when your friend does something to you or your spouse does something. You might get angry in the future. I'm banking on it, in fact. And when you do get angry, I want you to know how to deal with it. I want you to know how to process it in a God-honoring way. Don't you? All right, so here's some practical ways I like to be practical. First of all, when you get angry, I know you think you have a right to be angry. All right, how many times have you thought that? I have a right to be mad. You know what they did to me? You know what she said to me? I have a right to be angry. I'm not going to argue that point with you. Fine. You have a right to be angry. But you have a choice to make with your anger. Think about that. Good, you got angry. Or bad, I don't know, but you got angry. But now make a choice. What are you going to do in your anger? So, um, you, can, you can stay angry. Eh, we know the effects of that, right? Holding it in, letting it spew out on, on everybody else. Or you can work on it. So, how do you work on it? First of all, examine the cause of your anger. I don't know if you ever thought about doing this before. Maybe you tried a little bit, but then you started to get into some of your baggage, right? And you didn't like what you saw and what you found, so you stopped. But you really need to get down to the root cause of your anger. What's really causing you to get angry? And if you get down there and you realize, man, I'm mad because... There's abuse, there's abortion, there's addiction, and so on and so on, and that just gets you angry and fired up. Well, then that's a righteous anger, right? Do what Jesus did. Well, maybe not overturn the tables. You might get in some trouble for that, all right? But yeah, take action. You know, I, I feel like Barry is a great example of someone who is angry about abortion. And he's taking action. He's educating people as much as possible. You know, that, that's something that's, that's, 
he's righteously angry about that and wants to see that stop. That's just one example. There's a great example in the Bible uh, of righteous anger that turns into, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble because I'm I'm the one, I'm the problem. And and I don't know if you know this story, but I'd love for you to read it on your own, but I'm going to just give you the quick version of it. It's in 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12 is the story of David, King David. Now, God knows King David or calls King David a man after his own heart. King David was a godly man. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. He he is is a good man. Many people looked up to King David, but King David made a couple really big mistakes. Like, really big. Like, he committed adultery, and then he had the woman's husband killed. Adultery and murder. Yet God calls him a man after my own heart. So we are not perfect Christians, right? We make mistakes. King David made a huge mistake. God sends Nathan the prophet to let David know about his mistake. It's a great story because when Nathan goes up to King David and he shares with him this story, he tells him this this fictitious story. He says, there's a rich man who has all kinds of sheep. Very wealthy man. Lambs everywhere. And then there's a poor man who has just one lamb. Raised it, you know, nurtured it, pampered this pet. Some of you pamper your pets. You go a little over the top. You know who you are, all right? You know what's happening here. They love this lamb like a pet. I see people turning around looking at each other. I know, you love your pets, so do we, all right? But they love this lamb. And Nathan tells the story to King David. Uh, 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 Somebody came over for dinner to the rich man's house. Instead of taking one of his own lambs, which he has all kinds of them, he takes the one lamb from the poor family, butchers it, and serves it for dinner. King David is furious, righteous anger. This man should die, but before he dies, he should pay four times the amount. He's so mad. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the rich man. You took from Uriah the Hittite Bathsheba, you slept with her, and then you had him killed. Wow. That righteous anger just went to an anger pointed at himself. It's my fault. And if you read the story, you realize that King David had this anger towards himself and he had to deal with it and resolve it and he did very quickly. Very quickly. Which is a great example. That's why I love this story because it shows righteous anger and then it also shows how he resolved his anger quickly. You should read the story, 2 Samuel 12, um, at another time. Another cause for your anger. I bring this up because it's something that causes me to get angry when you lose control of the situation. All the control freaks in the house, raise your hand. (laughs) All right, we got a few. I'm not the only one. Things don't go our way. Man, that gets us angry, doesn't it? Lots of things can cause us to be angry. I know that's one of them. But you just need to figure it out. You need to get down to the root cause. And did you know that one of the root causes of our sin is pride. Your pride is one of the root causes of your sin. 
lot of times this just comes down to that. Oh, my pride took a hit. And so now I react. I sin. And so examine what's going on in your life. Examine the cause. And the God's solution always is, when we sin, to ask for forgiveness, right? Confess it. Admit it. Just put it out there to God. Seek forgiveness. And if you're lucky, God will forgive you. I'm kidding. It's not if you're lucky. It's a foregone conclusion. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He doesn't forgive you once, twice, maybe three times. No, he forgives you every time. I love it when Peter says to Jesus, should we forgive him seven times? Wow, Peter, you're so nice, man. You're going to forgive seven times. The most was like three, according to their rules. And Jesus says, no, not seven, Peter. Seven times seven. Which is really just a way of saying infinite. Like, you don't stop forgiving. And God will not stop forgiving you. So find the cause of your anger. Seek forgiveness. Make it right. That's one of the best things you can do in your anger, to resolve it. Secondly, you can resolve your anger by looking for God in the situation. Where is God in your situation? You remember Joseph? Joseph had 11 brothers, and they all hated him because he was, you know, dad's favorite. And you all hate dad's favorite or mom's favorite, don't you? Yeah, if you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. But Joseph had 11 brothers, and they hated him. So they sent him into slavery. They sold him into slavery. He goes into slavery, doesn't have a great situation there, gets put in jail. I mean, he has like a run of some serious problems. And as God would have it, not as luck would have it, as God would have it, he finds himself in power, in charge over his 11 brothers. Ooh, here he comes, Joseph. This is your chance. You get to get him back. But Joseph doesn't do that because he sees God in the whole situation. He pans back, right? Zooms back and he looks at it and he says this in Genesis 50, 20. Brothers, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good to bring about many people should be kept alive as they are today. Because Joseph went into slavery, went to jail, he became the right-hand man, and he saved his whole family from starvation. God took that evil and made it good. You can see God in the situation if you look for him. That's the second thing. I encourage you to look for God in your anger. Resolve your anger by returning evil with good. In a little, little bit, in our, in our final song here, we'll, we're going to sing um, this uh, um, lyric. And it comes from Romans 12.21. Romans 12.21 says, don't, overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that's way easier said than done, right? How do you overcome evil that's been done to you by doing good? Well, let me give you a little helpful hint here. Try prayer first. Right? If someone does something mean to you, it's pretty doubtful you're going to turn around and do something really nice for them. Right? 
you gossip about me, I'm not going to go buy you Starbucks. All right? I'm not going to do something nice for you. But if I start with prayer, if I start praying for you, specifically for you, I find prayer and evil are mutually exclusive. You have one, you can't have the other. Definition of mutually exclusive. If I'm praying for someone, I can't, I can't have a desire to be mad at them and, and, and want to get them back. This doesn't work like that. When I pray for someone, man, I want to help them because I'm praying for them. Is that, you, see, you hear what I'm saying? You believe it? Overcome evil with good? Lastly, resolve your anger by knowing God has your back. Know God has everything worked out. He's going to take care of everything. Go back two verses, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You can take comfort knowing that God will take care of the situation. That he will give the person or the situation, he, he, he will take care of it. Someone cuts me off from driving, not even my fault, gives me the bird on their way by. I want to chase them down and give them the right hand of fellowship. Yeah, and I'm not talking about fellowship, I'm talking about a pop and the kisser, right? I mean, that's what I want to do. God loves you, man, but I don't. <laughs> Isn't that what you want to do? But a wise person once said, ain't nobody got time for that. All right? You don't have time for that. Let it go, man. Resolve your anger. Pray for them. Trust God is going to take care of it. He'll take care of it. He knows what's going on in their life, in their situation. And sometimes God gives his wrath. Sometimes he gives his grace. Sometimes he gives a little bit of both. But who are we to question God? Romans chapter 9. Who are we to question God? We don't. We trust him. He's going to take care of business. He's got your back. So how do you resolve your anger in a God-honoring way? Well, get to the root cause. All right? Find God in the situation. Return evil with good. Start with prayer. And know that God has your back. As we come sing this final song, I invite our team to come up to do that. I want to invite you just to use this time to confess your anger to God. If there's something in your life right now you kind of know, this is what I'm angry about, I just need to confess this, lay it down at the cross. Come up here to the altar, to these steps, kneel down, just bow your head, stay in your chair if you'd like, it's up to you. But this is your time. Stop holding on to your anger. Let go of it. Hand it over to Jesus. That's why he died for you. Resolve your anger today. Remember, anger is just a gauge. It's not a guy. You have a choice that you can make. And if you want to come forward to do that, you can do that this morning. You can stay as long as you like, and if everybody came forward, that's fine. I'll jump over you. I, don't, I can do that still. And I'll dismiss then from there. But I just want to give you this time to do your business with God, to talk to God, and get closer to Him.